And the reading today is going to be from A Song of Songs, uh, and it's on page 680. Solomon's Song of Songs. Let him kiss me with kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than mine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your presence. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than mine. How right are they to adore you? Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard I had to neglect. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman without the flocks of your friends? Most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. Uh. I wonder, Rena, did you read that reading before you agreed to do the reading today? <laughs> Verse 1. Uh, we're straight in there. Um, we are going to spend a few weeks in church looking at this book of the Bible called Song of Songs. Hence, uh, if you know anything about Song of Songs, why we're not doing children's slots uh, based on this bit of the Bible. And uh, if you don't know anything about it, you will get to know. Let's pray before we start. We thank you, Lord, that the way that your word speaks to every part of our lives and we pray today that as we look at this bit of the Bible that you would speak to us and help us and show us the truth and please awaken love for Jesus as we look at this bit of the Bible today. In Jesus' name, Amen. So I heard on the week that for the first time this year for many years, the most listened to songs of 2022 were all by British artists. And so in an attempt to be culturally engaged, which is something that we like to do here at Christchurch, I decided to listen to them all on Spotify. Now, today, I need to say this to you. The 90s were the peak <laughs> uh, of where we are. Uh, anyway, so they all sound the same to me. I'm sure that's like a function of getting older. But it's interesting, apart from At 17 by Sam Fender, which seems to be about still being angry about having a fight at a festival several years ago, I guess you can write a song about anything. Apart from that, all the songs are about love. And actually, all of them are about love and sex and the link between the two things. Harry Styles is sort of moaning on about how his life is like so difficult now he's famous. But he's grounded by his new relationship. Or Kat Burns talks about finding that her boyfriend was cheating on her. Or the classy Ed Sheeran talks about, I love this line, bringing it right back to the back seat of the car. Nice. So humanity and art are all swept along by a deep desire for that type of love. 
It's actually the songs describe an all-consuming desire which makes us do things that are not a good idea and in the end are disappointing. One person is not able to fulfil the desire we have for intimacy. But it's interesting, even though we know that's true, none of the songs said, so I've just given up on that. Occasionally you do get people who say that. Again, another great cultural icon, Married at First Sight, which if you've not seen it, the TV programme, it is about that, people who get married at first sight. Uh, There is a woman on that, this uh, series, who said, I'm doing this because it's my last chance in life to find the right man. If it doesn't work out, then I give up on relationships. And it didn't work out, surprise, surprise. I looked her up on Instagram, and surprise, surprise, she has a new boyfriend. We are all drawn back into this cycle of longing and disappointment, and longing and disappointment. Now, a few years ago, I talked about this, and then I sort of segued straight into saying, the Bible says there are better songs to sing. There are songs about God and worship, not another person. And certainly in our place, at our time, sexual love has been given the place that we think it will get us everything. So if you find the one, they will complete you and satisfy you, and life will be perfect and good. And so to deny anyone that is sort of cruel and unnatural. But every song still says, but yes, the cycle is longing and euphoria and disappointment. And yet most people are still on the merry-go-round. So God is a better song to sing about, a better person to worship, undoubtedly. But after I gave that talk, someone came to me and said afterwards, yeah, true, but isn't the fact that everybody's singing about this, doesn't that show it's important? Are we just supposed to say, worship God instead? Is this deep heart cry just misguided, mistake? Well, enter this book of the Bible, the Song of Songs. It's called that on purpose. The Song of Songs means it is the very best song. And that song is about sexual love. And it's in this part of the Bible called Wisdom Books, which this book is all about. How do we actually live knowing God in a world that is broken and difficult? We're embodied beings who desire romance and intimacy, and that is part of that, this type of love. But as we go through, I'll point out there are lots of strange things about this love song that are hard to put on to our relationships. You know, when it comes to Valentine's Day, please do not write on your card to your girlfriend, your neck is like the Tower of David. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming down the mountain. It's a specific story, this song, about a king who loves his bride. And when she's described, the descriptions are all to do with a land or a place that he loves. And so Song of Songs is really the story of the whole Bible. The whole Bible is a love story, a God seeking intimacy to satisfy the desires of his people. 
And so what we see in Song of Songs is that our desire for romantic love is good. But even at its best, it's often disappointing and unfulfilling, and it's always marked by brokenness. That desire is implanted in us to point beyond itself to our desire for God and his desire for us. So the song of songs is inviting us into the holiest, most intimate, most sacred space, a deep communion with Jesus. We find how to commune with Jesus, a hard concept to grasp. Sexual desire is an immensely powerful signpost. Now, just to say before we jump in, if you've been brought up in conservative Christian circles, which lots of us, I guess, have, you might have been told this message. If you do sex and marriage in the right way, the moral way, everything will work out well. If you do it right, everything will work out right for you. Now, undoubtedly, there are places for sex and there are people who are out of bounds no matter how much you desire them. That's true. But Song of Songs teaches us, I think, that you can do it all the right way and still always experience unfulfilled desire. And that's one thing to take away from Song of Songs, that if your marriage isn't all you'd like it to be, or you've never had the romantic relationship you longed for, or in some way you're living with the desire for more, that yearning is part of life and is there to point you to God. Anyway, unfulfilled desire on the behalf of the bride is where we start. This is the first thing we see in the first few verses. A forward woman. I have a picture that, as I grew up in my head, of what a Christian woman should be like. Buttoned up, sensible, good at making tea, careful never to flash her ankles. But that view of a Christian woman is more to do with, like, patriarchy taking over where the Bible should have been. You know, women, they should be modest and quiet and never speak of their desires. Women are sometimes given the advice in British culture as they go to their wedding nights to lie back and think of England. Or as my mother-in-law kindly said to my fiancé on the day we got married, don't expect any fireworks. <laughs> Thanks for the word of confidence, Mags. The Song of Songs begins with the woman expressing her strong desire for the king. It's deeply emotional and he knows that he loves her well in a way that brings joy like wine in verse 2. He smells good in verse 3. And then she says, I am ready to go to his chamber with him. That is not a euphemism. That is what she is saying. Now at this point, they aren't married as far as we can tell. And they don't sleep together until they are, if there is a story unfolding in the book. But expressing her desire is feminine and human and good. The book begins with the bride longing for the king because she knows what his love is like. Now remember, this is a reflection on romantic love. And we always have lots to learn when the Bible gives us examples of people longing for things. And this is already challenging because in our culture, we think women who express desire have sort of something wrong with them. 
but feeling that type of thing is part of life for men and women. But there's something else going on here. God's people are the bride of the king. These anointing oils that she loves to, to smell, they aren't oils that anybody gets. They're put on the person who is going to rule the people. So this is not just a woman expressing her desire for her husband to be. It is the bride of the king expressing that he is loved, uh, that, that she loves him. In fact, she expresses all women love him because he's such a perfect ruler. There's throughout the book uh, three characters, the bride, the bridegroom, and then this chorus of friends who appear and make comments now and again. And they appear at the end of verse 4. And they say to the king, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise and love your love more than wine. This is strange, isn't it? This is not a normal human relationship where a fiancé says, I can't wait for my fiancé to kiss me. And the friends all join in and say, yes, us too. <laughs> Very odd. That is not something generally women want their friends to say. But if the bride is God's people, this makes sense. God's people desire intimacy with Jesus, the king chosen by God, because the way he loves us is so good. It's better than wine, better than sex, better than all the other pleasures of life being loved by Jesus. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. That leads others to see that his love is great too. Sexual desire is a powerful force. Desire for a person can be an incredibly powerful or distressing or amazing or intoxicating experience. But as all the songs that sold last year uh, show, it's never quite what it should or could be. It's planted in us to reflect one big eternal love story with the anointed king. The writer C.S. Lewis said this famously, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The strength of that desire the fleeting joy if it's met, the struggle and disappointment we all feel in this area some of the time, they're all to lead us to say about Jesus, who we know loves us perfectly, whose grace is better even than wine, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. That sort of intimate talk of Jesus is disturbing for all sorts of reasons. Partly that Christians today are a bit sort of prudish and weird about sex talk, or because nowadays so many people have like secret bad sexual addictions, so to try and think of that spiritually is a very strange thing. But our hunger is for something intimate on that level. One writer says, God woos us away from sinful attempts at pleasure with a song that sings, the holy enjoyment of what he makes possible. Let's uh, jump out of Song of Songs for a moment into the Gospel of Mark, which might be a book you're more familiar with. It's a biography of Jesus. I've been studying Mark's Gospel with someone over the last term, 
And the story of the first half of that gospel is Jesus' closest disciples are hearing Jesus teaching, but they're not really getting it. And Jesus does miracles which show what needs to happen to them for them to understand. Jesus does these weird series of healings which are, well, they're weird. We know Jesus can just heal people even if he's not there. But he has these very intense encounters with people because they're pictures of like, you can't just hear the words. You need to actually encounter Jesus and have him change you. And there's one very strange bit where Jesus heals a deaf man by putting his fingers in his ears and spitting in his mouth. It's like gross. And we know that Jesus doesn't need to do that type of thing. He can just say the words and things are done. But the picture is that just hearing the words don't make a difference unless you actually invite Jesus in to this intimate, visceral, personal place. In a church like ours, we hear the message, the true message a lot, that the power of God is in the word put out there. That's true. But unless we take the inviting posture of let him love me in this humbling, sometimes humiliating way. But I don't mind being humiliated or humbled like that because his love is so good, it's better than wine. I guess if you think it's just about hearing the words and sitting there or reading the words and understanding them, my guess is your spiritual life is probably a bit dry and dead and without desire. Song of Songs says, not let him speak to me, but let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. You may be familiar with the idea that God loves us in Jesus and that awakes a response of love in us to him. But the song starts with the bride saying, let him come to me because I know his love is so good. This beautiful relationship with Jesus grows and develops as we welcome joyfully his intimacy. As and as I long to know Jesus in the way that I know the people I'm most intimate with and to welcome him into that because he is so good, that's how I wake up and experience his love for me. You may be used to thinking about Christianity as forgiveness of sins, that's true. Or Christianity as life transformed by the Spirit, and that's right. Or Christianity as living for Jesus, that's true as well. The Song of Songs is reminding us, inviting us to Christianity as deep communion with Jesus. The church, God's people, our church, Christ Church Liverpool, individually we are inviting Jesus closeness with us. Why? Because his love is better than wine. Now if you are here today and you're a man who's attracted to women, a heterosexual man, you might be sitting here thinking, I find this very weird. I read the book with a, about song songs with the interns a couple of years ago and in the end one of the male interns said, 
Yeah, I do get what you're getting at here, but in the end, Jesus is still a dude. How am I supposed to process this? Well, I think we probably should say that we expect women to do a lot of work when we talk as we do about us all being sons of God. So, nice for the men to have to do some work thinking about the bride of Jesus. Um, I think the other thing to say is, yes, this is a sort of, this is a bit like that, but not in every way. The intensity we feel for this type of relationship is like the intensity we feel for Jesus. It may not be exactly the same. But the pattern we've probably fallen into, definitely in our culture, is wanting the sign much more than we want the reality. So if this is a little bit disturbing for you about how much and intensely you have these type of desires, that's probably okay. It's waking you up to desire Jesus more. And the friends chipping in in verse 4 reminds us that if we are welcoming this deep intimacy with the perfect king who shows the greatness of his love for us, that will draw other people in. I was talking to a friend a little while ago who'd been through something really terrible in life. And for a while they had dealt with it by just ignoring that it had happened, putting it behind them, they thought. But she said, I got to the point where I knew and I trusted Jesus enough to sort of let him in to that really, really hard place and to weep with him about it, to use Colossians language, to let his peace rule even there, to slowly open up to him and to, and to others and to seek healing. And as she talked to me about that experience, I did think about her. Well, you know, well done you for taking that difficult step. But I also thought, oh, Jesus, I rejoice and delight in you. Your love is more and better than wine, that this is the way you love people. As we invite intimacy with Jesus, it draws others to that too. There uh, is a Christian pastor who basically talks about um, the strength of our desires and how they're often for wrong things. And he basically says, um, the only thing to do if you really, really desire something and you know it's wrong is to build and develop a stronger desire for what's right. He says, you fight fire with fire. And he's like, so if you have a strong desire for some sort of sinful behavior, the way to deal with that is to grow your desire for Jesus, who is better than that sinful desire. It was interesting, I was talking in that once at, at our church, and someone came and talked to me afterwards and basically said, isn't that a bit dangerous? Aren't our desires just so like unruly and bad and generally twisted that trying to build greater desire for anything is a bit risky? And I guess it is. But if we don't do that, what we think Jesus wants from us is just like, you do this, I do that, called obedience, we walk through life. That is not what Jesus wants from us. He wants to awaken desire. Fight fire with fire. And if you have a strong desire in life at the moment for something you know is wrong, and you're just dealing with it by trying to suppress the desire for the wrong thing, you're fighting fire with, I don't know, 
a small draft. Try and blow it out. Fight fire with fire, a greater desire for Jesus. That was the longest point of forward women. Second thing that we see is that she's broken and beautiful. Something bad has happened to this bride, and it was making her insecure. In her culture, a pale-skinned woman was a sign of class and breeding. It was poor working women who'd been out in the fields who had tanned skin. And so she says to the daughters of Jerusalem in verse 5, who presumably were city dwellers, plain, fashionable women, they were staring at her because her skin was dark. And yet she says, verse 5, dark I am, yet lovely. She is loved by the king with her dark skin. We discover in verse 6, it was because something very bad had happened in her family, something sinister. Her brothers had forced her to work in the fields. It says she had neglected her own vineyard. That may have been saying that they perceived her as to have not protected her own and so punished her by making her work, which is a classic story, to be honest. A woman abused for not being virtuous enough by the men who are supposed to be protecting her. And because of her dark skin, she is carrying the marks of that abuse through her life, making her feel not good enough, and other people making her feel not good enough, staring at her because of her skin. And yet she says, verse 5, dark I am, yet lovely. The king finds her beautiful. So that means even if other people stare, which is a hard thing to experience, she can still walk through life assured of her loveliness. In fact, it seems like it is her darkness, the things she carries because of her problems and the bad things done to her, that form her into the person the king loves. So whatever you carry today from your own bad decisions or from the bad things done to you by others, if you want Jesus, you are lovely to him. If you are part of the people welcoming him, he finds you delightful. He loves communion with you. More than that, he says, even the bad things done to you and the things you have, do you have done that are wrong, that have shaped you in ways that you think, I wish I hadn't done that. They have shaped you into someone who is delightful to him. Years ago, I had a friend, a Christian friend, who got pregnant at university. She felt a bit pressured, I think, to sleep with the guy who predictably was nowhere to be seen after it had all happened. And she had the baby, called the baby Grace, which I thought was a beautiful thing, and went on with her studies, which is a very, very challenging thing to do. But she became in her life a magnet to women who had ended up in bad places through bad things done to them and bad choices they had made. She spent her life kindly pointing other women in similar situations back to Jesus. Now, can you see that ministry was only possible because of a bad thing done by her and to her? And yet, I can only look at her doing that and think, that is a delightful thing for the Lord Jesus to see. He loves that. 
and the thing that you think is ugliest or most awkward or you hate about yourself, that can be used to do something beautiful by Jesus. Oh, I don't want to be heard to say that doing what's right doesn't matter. Of course it does. We are Jesus' bride and we belong to him. But this beautiful poem is that whatever is dark in your life because of your choices or the choices of others, in the light of his better-than-wine love, that is transformed to something delightful to him. Because we speak a lot about God's grace, that is, God is kinder to us than we deserve, we can get this picture in our head that Jesus is sort of dealing with us like under sufferance. That Jesus is like, okay, well, I did die for you, so I guess I'd better like, welcome you. You, know, you are worms, but I, you know, I'm nice like that. So you may come into my family, but don't forget your place. We hide from Jesus because we really feel those things we have done or done to us. We are made to feel bad because of the cool, the fashionable, the beautiful staring at us. But if the truth of the world is the gaze of the perfect lover, all of that is made beautiful. And he delights to love us. So a forward woman, broken and beautiful, seeks a shepherd king. We're going to finish today without actually meeting the groom of this wedding. As we've heard, this is the king. Here we discover he is a shepherd out in his field. That's the biggest clue, I think, that the king is not Solomon. If you read about Solomon in the Bible, he was not found near sheep. He lived in like palaces coated in gold leaf and didn't spend much time in the fields, unlike his father David. This king is not just a ravishing romantic hero, not just attractive because he holds all of the power. He's also a shepherd out in the field in the middle of poverty, shepherding his flock. And this is the beginning to see why she loves him, why she can trust him so completely. He is the perfect bringing together of what we desire so deeply. Someone who rules fairly, who delights in us, even those things we hate and are ashamed of, and who is out in the fields gathering his flock with the poorest and neediest. The person asking for this relationship of delight with us, with you, is the one who says, I am God's anointed king, I am the bridegroom, and I am the good shepherd. But the bride has lost him. She can't find where he is. And her friends say, well, in verse 8, well, if you want to find the shepherd, follow the tracks of the, sh the sheep. Now, again, <clears throat> this is not, a, a, you know, the plot of the average romantic film. We're only eight verses in and we're discussing sheep tracks. Where is this going? But I think what they're saying to her is, follow the path that everybody uses to follow back to him and you will find him. Go and be near him like others are and you will find him there, which is what happens in verse 9. In this service today, in a few moments, we are going to be thanking God and praying for baby Micah Shin. What do we want for him as we are praying for him? We want lots of things. We want him to grow up strong and happy. We probably want him to 
have his own love story, to get married and have children of his own. But more than all of those things, we want him to be part of this big eternal love story, to be loved by Jesus and love Jesus back. And that is what we want for ourselves. And can I say today, the friend's advice is still good advice. If you think I am lacking the intimacy with Jesus that Song of Songs describes, well, what paths are other people using? What are the people around you who are really like this and thriving this way? How are they finding Jesus? Follow their paths. Because what Jesus wants is more than an equation where you get forgiven and a boring life where you try and obey him. He wants to come close like a bridegroom to his bride. It feels a bit weird talking about it. But we must believe that this book is put in the Bible for a reason. Because we often forget how we are supposed to relate to Jesus. And he is inviting us to so much more.